Hello, and thanks for joining us on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We take a look at issues involving Maine and sometimes the entire country. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing on one of the most important parts of the Maine economy, the hospitality industry and visitors who come to Maine in the summertime by the millions. And speaking of millions, we're going to start with a discussion about Acadia National Park, which is one of the real main attractions of people coming to Maine. And we have with us Eric Stiles, who's the head of a group called Friends of Acadia, which is a nonprofit sort of adjunct, not an official part of the National Park Service, but a group of citizens who support the park have been doing so for years, uh, do a lot of work in and around to make this park the wonderful place that it is. So, uh, Eric, let's start with visitation. Last summer, we were something like 4 million visitors at Acadia. Is that the right number? Yeah, it is. One of the silver linings and one of the challenges created by the pandemic was we saw a record number of Americans spending time outside of nature. In the first six months, over 70% of Americans spent a huge amount of time in nature, were self-reported, and one-third of those were for the first time in their lives, right? So wow, we saw people that's amazing. into... Yeah, so really leaning into it, right? And there's great research here. The reason for this, you know, Hey, we're, we, uh, all you have to do is, is go out of your office, uh, you know, into that neck of woods nearby or play on the creek or go fishing. Blood pressure drops, right? So people that spend time outside, better health outcomes. They have better mental health outcomes, lower rates of anxiety, lower rates of depression, good for PTSD treatment. They probably sleep better, which is a good thing all around. Absolutely. Yes, sir. You know, America has fallen in love again with its greatest invention, national parks. So to your point, we have seen a dramatic increase during COVID in visitation and expect another 4 million in this coming season in 2023. But I remember it doesn't seem that long ago that it was around 3 million. I mean, this is a real uh, significant growth. And as you say, it's happened all across the country. And we'll talk about a lot of the issues. It's, it's a good news story, but it has it, it contains its own issues. But let's back up a minute. Do you have a, a number on what we think the economic effect of Acadia is on Maine and particularly the surrounding area? It's a, it's a big number, as I recall. Absolutely. One of the biggest economic development opportunities in the United States is outdoor recreation. So in 2021, Acadia visitors spent $486 million in the local economy, creating 6,840 jobs, which is just a staggering figure. And when you look at outdoor recreation in Maine, it's a $2.8 billion industry. One in 20 jobs in the state of Maine is directly supported by outdoor recreation. So this, this and, is big business and really and, essential for our amazing state. I had a really funny experience. When serving as governor, I used to go down to the York Visitor Center on Memorial yeah. Day. You know, as people were coming into the state and I would greet them, hi, I'm the governor, welcome to Maine. By the way, a lot of them didn't believe me, uh, but uh, <laughs> aside from that. But I'd always say, so where are you headed? And honestly, 75 or 80% said Acadia. 
And most of them thought it was about a half hour up the road. And I had to say, well, you know, maybe you want to stop at Booth Bay on the way. But it was really, I was overwhelmed by the popularity of, of the site for visitors. And of course, anywhere you go in the country, you run into somebody who says, oh, yeah, we vacationed or I took my family or we had our honeymoon or whatever. Uh, uh, it, it, as you say, is almost half a billion dollars of economic impact. So uh, that's a plus. Now, the minus is Acadia is not a very big place, and Bar Harbor is not a very big town, and that's an awful lot of people. How do we deal with the with loving our wonderful places to death? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And so one of the silver linings of COVID is record numbers of Americans spending time outdoors. But to your point, that has created challenges, right? We want, we need to make sure, you know, we're, we're kind of stewarding these sites for the next generations. We inherited these amazing sites because of talented individuals and visionaries that came before us. So in essence, we're, you know, we're in charge of stewarding this, this canoe down the Allagash um, for the next leg. And having that 50% increase in visitation in four years as you mentioned earlier, from you know uh, just under three million to this four million, it creates all sorts of challenges. Whether that is you know you trying to drive around Bar Harbor on July Fourth weekend, it reminds me of the Jersey Shore where I came from, and you know fell in love with Acadia as so many people have, and was fortunate enough to be able to move here and call it home now. But there's some real innovative solutions, one of which is funded part by the National Park from the fee. So when you come into the park and you pay for this amazing week, part of that registration goes to support a free local bus system, Island Explorers, uh, also supported by our amazing L.L. Bean. I always like to root for the home team here. And it's one of the few mass transit systems in the United States that is free it's being subsidized. So that allows people, whether you're staying in a Airbnb on the quiet side or you're staying in a hotel in downtown Bar Harbor, one of the best ways to experience, especially in July and August, is just hop on one of these buses. They're running frequently. So if you were to try and get to Sand Beach in July and you're trying to go in your car and you're going on a weekend, you see people just frustrated. They, they come to the park, they're with their family, their loved ones, and they want to see this feature. The parking lot's full, and they're, they're circling like a shark around a school yeah. of fish, just waiting for that spot to open up. If you simply stopped in Bar Harbor and hopped on the bus, you get right off. The stress level and the access, so it is one of the, the best-kept secrets that we're working really hard just to try and elevate this because it really makes a huge difference. Well, I was going to say, haven't they gone forward with a kind of reservation system at Cadillac Mountain so people don't end up in big traffic jams and lined up and not be able to find a parking place and that kind of thing? And that I know a lot of people had, I was about to say, had reservations about the reservations, but that's worked, hasn't it? Yes, it, it was, you know, it's visionary. There's a handful of national parks that have this. So back before the reservation system was put in, people were double and triple parking. So the, the stress level, the, the angst, you imagine there's buses coming up. So like kind of law enforcement, illegal parking, you have people's, uh, because their stress levels are higher, you're having a lot more negative interactions. My wife and I went up in August to watch sunset, and it was a completely different experience from the last time we had visited the park before the pandemic. In our mind, we were 
having a good time, but it was, it, it was like, uh, you're trying to park in, you know, downtown Boston on, uh, you know, on game day. On a, on a Red Sox it, it, day. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, but that's not why people come to national parks, right? We're coming here to connect with the, the things that are outside of us that are larger than us, that are inspiring, that, that, that move us. And if you are in bumper to bumper traffic fighting for that parking space, so the reservation system now, it is such an improved experience and, and surveys have, uh, visitors have uh, supported this where you go in and you're guaranteed, you are guaranteed a spot up there. You, this time is your time and it has made all the difference in the world. Well, one of the things that we're working on in Washington, as you may know, I'm the chair of the National Park Subcommittee of Energy and Natural Resources, and we're working on a kind of Waze app for parks that people could go online on the app and see where uh, where the crowds are. And uh, you could even do it within the park. So if there are a lot of people down at Thunderhole, you could head up to Cadillac Mountain or uh, around to the Jordan Pond or, or wherever. I, I think we, we need to be using technology to to uh, alert people. The other thing that, that we I think we need to do is have people understand there are other really cool places. For example, in Maine, we've got Katahdin Woods and Waters a couple of hours away, which is a fabulous place. And then up Route 1 is uh, Campobello, the Roosevelt Campobello International Park. And I've been working with Kevin Schneider at Acadia about uh, doing something to alert people of the you know, they can take another two-hour trip. They can do Acadia, but then have a whole different experience at Campobello or at Katahdin Woods and Waters. The idea basically is to spread the visitation out somewhat. Absolutely. And I think you, it's a very provocative question. Do we have a visitation problem or a distribution problem, right? And we feel um, very similar to yourself, which is how do we get people to more sites, and I want to thank you for your national leadership on behalf of national parks, both as a kind of a champion and promoter, but also acknowledge you and the other delegates' strong support for federal funding for the Acadia Gateway Center, which is going to be a regional travel and tourism center on the way into Acadia National Park. So not only can you get out of your car there and park and um, enjoy island explorers, but it, as a regional tourism center, is going to be highlighting all of the other gems in this part of Maine. I'll never forget uh, July 4th weekend, so many locals, uh, as my, my four, first July 4th on, on the island, uh, said, you can't go into the park on July 4th. I just talked to two locals. I said, where would you go? I did a seven-mile hike in the park and only saw three people, Saturday, July 4th weekend. So, and this is the beauty of your ways at center. Well, and right? and Mary and I had had an experience. We were at Yosemite once with our kids, and we went about a hundred yards off the main trail onto a side trail, and and there was there was nobody there. So it's really <laughs> a question of 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 selecting. I think I think Acadia is probably the most visited national park per square foot of any park yes. in the country. We're about fifth in absolute visitation. And by the way, the the most visited. National Park by a mile, which I was surprised is not Grand Canyon, not Yosemite or Yellowstone. It's the Great Smoky Mountains in, in uh, Tennessee. Yeah, and, and another absolutely gorgeous site. Though it, I still say Acadia for me is, is uh, number one, but it's hard to choose among your kids. So, well, yeah. and also we're, we've finally belatedly 
provided some support for the maintenance backlog. In fact, I'm going to be at the park in the next couple of weeks to to celebrate. It sounds like an odd thing to celebrate. To celebrate building a new maintenance shed, which has been a huge problem up there. The old one was was literally, I remember seeing huge cracks in the wall. So uh, through the Great American Outdoors Act that passed two or three years ago, we're trying to whittle down the the maintenance backlog for all kinds of things like uh, roads and trails and all of those kind of facilities. So as I say, it's an odd thing to have a celebration at a at a maintenance shed, but <laughs> we're going to do it because it's been so long coming. It is so important. And again, it's you know showing the, the great work underway across America, Great American Outdoors Act. We have two big projects. They are essential, right? It's almost like, do you get excited about a foundation of a house? No. But if your foundation cracks, you start to panic, right? So the back end, this maintenance building is so desperately needed and is going to be so essential for making the front end experience continue to be excellent. And then there's the sewer treatment plant over at the Scudic Peninsula. Right. Uh, again, does it get people excited? No, but you need to have, you know, restrooms. You need to have water. You need, you know, for to your point, if you go on the, the trails or the carriage roads, you know, they're using equipment that needs to be serviced and stored. And so, yeah. And I'm by really the way, looking forward to the celebration. Well, by the way, one of the one of the gems is the campground over at Scudic. Mary and I were there last fall. We had the RV up there with some friends. It's one of the nicest campgrounds I've ever been to, and that oh, that's a real asset. And something that uh, I think people might like to hear, this is pretty much entirely a bipartisan project in Washington. My co-chair on the Parks Committee is a guy named Steve Daines, who's a Republican from Montana. But he and I work together on on all of these things, on the Gateway Projects and the Great American Outdoors Act. So I I think people get the feeling that all we do is fight in Washington, but every now and then there are things that we can do together, and this is certainly one of them. Absolutely. Look, outdoor recreation, spending time in nature, conservation is not a political issue. It's an American issue. And America has led globally in this space. We should be proud. You know, and I think um, you're touching on Great American Outdoors Act, and thanks to you and, and other leadership, Oftentimes, we think of parks, we buy them, and then we don't need to continue to invest in them, right? Nature takes care of itself. But in many ways, it's like saying, I'm going to buy a house, but I'm not going to budget for maintenance. It just doesn't work. And the Great American Outdoors Act was absolutely transformational. You know, it's putting billions of dollars, you know, good, essential projects. And by the way, those monies are going out to local vendors, Right, so the, the the company that was awarded the maintenance building is a good good main company. Uh, so you know it 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 is a really tight circle. And again, knowing that you know we have to make hard decisions financially as a country, and um, uh, you know I, I I could never walk in your shoes. These this is one of the places where it's an economic multiplier, as we touched on earlier. So not only is it the right thing to do, but investing in conservation is investing in America both our quality of life, our basic human condition, but very importantly in our economy. Well, how does it, let me let me get you on record with a prediction. What does it look like for this summer? Can you, are there indicators of early bookings in the, in Bar Harbor? And uh, what do we, what do we think we're going to see? Of course, I've learned that weather has a lot to do with it. 
Yeah, and and this is where climate change, uh, visitation is having winners and losers, just like uh, wildlife species. So, for example, the optimal conditions for folks' visitation at the parks, the Goldilocks is in the upper 70s, lower 80s. Well, as you look at as many places, if you look at a big bend, you're getting that temperature is a Joshua Tree, other sites like that. The visitation is declining. And as with, with climate change occurring, that Goldilocks window of ideal temperatures at Acadia is growing. So one would, you know, looking at the science, and, and I'm the son of a physicist, so that makes me a little bit of a nerd, uh, and, and maybe, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. But with the pandemic, it seems that we have, in essence, leveled off. So chatting with some of the, you know, the hotel owners, the bigger establishments, they're thinking that we're going to be slightly below, again, just like 2022 was slightly below the uh, peak in 2021. But, you know, this is a community. And the other thing that is absolutely amazing about Mount Desert Island and Skudik and the, is the community's sense of pride in the park. It is self-identified, and it is both a challenge, but I would say a tremendous asset. Acadia National Park is the most poorest national park in our country. You go from village through the park into another village. You go from Bar Harbor, you drive through the park, you go into Otter Creek. You're in Northeast, you go up the, the Soames side, and you're in and out of national park land. So the park is an amazing national asset, but the pride from locals, the pride in that sense of identity is so intertwined. It is powerful. Well, Eric, I really appreciate the work that the friends do uh, to support the park, and it, it really does make a difference to have groups like yours. And there are similar groups, as you know, across the country. And it, it's a wonderful partnership of private sector people, volunteers, local people. And then we have the, the wonderful, as you say, uh, America's greatest idea, according to Ken Burns. So I want to really thank you for, for what the friends do. And uh, I look forward to seeing you around the park uh, either this summer or fall. Usually Mary and I uh, schedule our, our trip after Labor Day. But in any case, uh, thanks for all the great work. And uh, let's look forward to a great season at Acadia. Thank you, Senator. And thanks for all you do for conservation, both in Maine and at a national level. You're an inspiration. Well, we'll keep at it. Thanks, man. And stay with us. We're going to be back and talk about the hospitality industry more generally in Maine, how important it is and what it means to the Maine economy and to our Maine communities. So stay with us on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We talk about issues mostly involving Maine, but sometimes they uh, are national issues uh, with a Maine slant. But today we're talking about something that is very important to us, particularly at this time of year, and that is tourism, visitation, the millions of people that come to Maine. And by the way, when they're here, they spend money. And uh, that's a big part of our economy. We're talking to Nate Cloutier, who's the director of Hospitality Maine, which is a private sector organization that coordinates and works with 
the great variety of visitor services, whether it's hotels, restaurants, all of those kinds of facilities that make Maine such a great experience for our visitors. So, Nate, tell me, uh, give me some overall figures of what uh, visitors mean to Maine. Yeah, thank you, Senator King, for having me on here. And on behalf of Hospitality Maine, thank you for all you and the rest of the delegation has done to help us rebound from the pandemic and get tourism up and kicking here in Maine. As you said, tourism is the life and blood of the Maine economy. I was just doing some reading the other day. In 2019, we had 37 million visitors to Maine with an economic impact of about $12 billion. Last year, in 2022, we only hit about 8.6 billion, but that trajectory is looking a lot more promising towards that 12 billion figure pre-pandemic. And as Eric said, we're hoping that we're gonna see a real good increase in the amount of visitors that we're having. Because a lot of people I think are seeing this year as the official reset year that they want to get out and really travel and start experiencing what they were able to before the pandemic. I think a lot of people think, well, tourism, those are jobs, they're temporary, they're seasonal, they don't pay all that much. But that's really not true. If you're a chef in a restaurant or the servers who make the tips in the summertime, these are not bad jobs. I guess that's what I want to say. Yeah. I mean, everybody that I've I've spoken to and got to work with um, our membership and uh, some of their employees, they love the flexibility that comes with the job, and they certainly love the financial impact that it has for them, especially during those summer seasons. Um, I remember when I was going through my humane days back in the day, and my friends would wait tables, and they would certainly come home with a lot more money than I would at the end of the day. (laughs) Well, now, one of the issues, a big issue, uh, has been workforce. And the availability of workforce, is that still a problem going into this year? Yes, it's probably still our largest problem, our biggest impediment to to being up to anything towards pre-pandemic. It is improving from what it's been in 2020, 2021, and 2022. But I think between aging and retirements, businesses have really had to adapt their model, especially in the restaurant industry. Uh, you'll notice businesses on Main Street in Brunswick, their restaurants are only open four days a week and they're closed, you know, Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays. And that's because they've had to adapt to these workforce shortages. Well, that's a polite way of saying they don't have enough staff. Right. Right. Well, and one of the issues that I've been working on with Tom Tillis of North Carolina and uh, Mike Rounds of South Dakota, a group of, of senators, is the H2B visa program, which is the temporary guest workers from from overseas. And every now and then people say, well, why are you bringing in these people? They're taking American jobs. But the truth is, without them, you lose American jobs. Isn't that right? I mean, if a restaurant can't open because it needs 12 people and it needs four more guest workers, can't get them, then those eight Americans' jobs are at risk. Is that the way you guys see it? Yeah, that's exactly right, Angus. I mean, the work that you've done and and with Senator Collins on H-2Bs has had a phenomenal impact on keeping businesses open. I mean, tourism and hospitality wouldn't look the same in the state without the H-2B program. I know that you were able to help us secure an extra 60 plus thousand visas last year. Some of our members were able to get some of those. And that, I mean, that makes the difference for some folks 
to actually have their doors open. They need to count on these visas every year. I got to tell you, every group that's in my office, whether it's from the medical, nursing homes, schools, truckers, I'm just naming off people that have been in the last couple of weeks, workforce is the biggest problem. And it's something that we have to address. But your industry, not entirely, of course, but a lot of it is seasonal. And if you do the math, if we have 30 million visitors and 1.3 million people, there's just no way there are going to be enough people to handle all those visitors at the peak season. So that means we've got to have folks coming from away, whether away is Eastern Europe or uh, Iowa, but we've got to have that extra help. How does it look for this summer, uh, Nate? Do you have any early booking predictions for us? It's looking good. Um, I was, I was going to say to Eric that he's looking a little more optimistic in, in the hotel lodging front in Bar Harbor. From everything I'm hearing, we're looking pretty good on the aspect of people wanting to get to Maine and visit our beautiful coastline, um, especially in, in Acadia. Well, it was I, funny. One of the things I learned when I was working in Augusta years ago is the effect of the weather. We have a lot of visitors who are, I call them whim tourists. They're people who say on a Friday morning, hey, let's go to Maine for the weekend. And one of the things we learned is if the weather people in uh, Boston say it's going to be mostly sunny, we get a lot of visitors. If they say it's going to be partly cloudy, <laughs> we, we get fewer visitors. So we got to train those folks to talk about mostly sunny instead of partly cloudy. Yeah, you can still have a good time here with some partly cloudy weather, for sure. <laughs> so uh, now, what can you do? You have a breakdown? How much? What are we talking about in terms of hotels and and you know residential versus uh, restaurants? What's the what's the breakdown there? Is it is it fifty fifty or where where where's the where's the volume? Do you mean in the amount in terms of dollars? Oh. Um, Yes, I'd say it leans a little more towards the restaurant side, but uh, closer to that 50-50 number for sure. I don't have the most recent numbers. I think there's a, a revenue forecasting coming out soon here next month that'll have more information on uh, what can we can expect in the next coming months. But um, I'd say our, our restaurant industry for sure is, is looking like it's going to be in great shape. Are your members... Are they thinking about things like apprenticeships and how to, I mean, I've been talking to businesses lately that are going into the high schools. They're having meetings with young people and uh, trying to, I mean, like I say, everybody's working on getting more workers. Do you see the, the hospitality industry doing that kind of outreach? Yeah, Angus, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. At the beginning of our legislative session, we set some new legislative priorities, and one of those included um, CTE and apprenticeship programs. But we have a workforce development section of Hospitality Maine that works with different communities and schools to get these apprenticeship programs up and running in the state so that folks are coming out of school or heading into a good apprenticeship program and coming out prepared to get into the workforce. Uh, I think it's programs like these that are going to be a game changer for getting a, a steady and prepared workforce and keeping these folks in Maine. I think we've really got to double down on, we, we've got some great programs like um, MTech and Region 10 in my area, in your area, 
Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I've often thought we don't do enough of is internships. There's data, and if you think about it, we have this we have a river of of young people that come into Maine and go to school here. UNE and St. Joe's and Colby Bates and Bowdoin University, and then the, that river flows out again. And we want to keep a lot of those people here. And I've always thought that internships because if people will spend a summer in Maine, these young people spend a summer in Maine, they see all what, what the state is like and make a connection to, to, the biz, to businesses, they're more likely to, to stick around after graduation. Yeah, that's, that's right. The, the data is pretty compelling that once somebody comes to Maine, and especially when you have a chance to do an internship like you're talking about, that they will stay, they will stay and work and want to raise a family here, and you really can't blame them. <laughs> no, no. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's why we're here. What about housing, uh, Nate? That's a, for most of the businesses I talked to, one of their problems, I was at BIW yesterday, and they're recruiting and hiring people, but they're having people come from other places. They get here, and they find they can't find a place to live. I, I suspect that's an issue in, in hospitality as well. Yeah, workforce housing is is something that, you know, I know that we've spoken to you about in the past and we're working on it at a state level as well. One of our members in, in Camden, our board chair, actually, Matthew Levin, he just had a apartment renovated so that he could have some housing for some of his employees to ensure that he's going to have stable employment for this season. So, and not not every employer is fortunate enough to be able to um, provide. Well, Sugarloaf just bought the old Herbert Hotel in Kingfield and is making that into workforce housing. I mean, that's that's a pretty creative solution. And I think that's the, that's, we, we, we desperately need more, more housing at, at all levels, but workforce is one of the real problems. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's really not good when a, when a police officer can't afford to live in the, in the town that they're patrolling. Uh, I'm looking at you, Portland, <laughs> but uh, you know that's something we gotta we we really gotta work on. Yeah, I mean it's you can't you can't expect the economy to have big changes if we can't have folks living where they need to work. We really need to double down on making sure that people want to come here because they know that they can afford to live here and have a good job. Do you see? I'm not sure you have data on this, but uh, how? What about the Airbnb business? Is that a big part of the main hospitality economy now? And and uh, there's some tension there between Airbnbs and hotels and bed breakfasts. What, what talk to me about that phenomenon? Yeah, Airbnbs in Maine and I think probably um, around the country have have really taken off in recent years. And that they're you're right, they're not really on a level playing field with hotels because they're not they're not required to be licensed uh, and registered in the same way as hotels are so airbnbs are are able to offer things that hotels can't and airbnbs are some people say are in places where affordable housing should be so as a state i think we really have to look at balancing uh, and finding striking a good balance between the number of Airbnbs we have coupled with looking at affordable housing solutions because we can't flood the market with Airbnbs and expect to have affordable housing next door it's just something something has to change on that front so speaking of 
of, of hospitality. Uh, I had a presentation uh, recently in Biddeford, and uh, Mary and I uh, spent the night at the new Lincoln Hotel, which is in one of the old mills yes. uh, in, in downtown Biddeford. And I got to tell you, it's one of the coolest places. You walk into the lobby and you think you're in San Francisco or New York. And I mean, there was a story in Travel and Leisure about Biddeford as a, the hot new town. And, and so this visitation economy is a is a big deal and it, it 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 augments it's not a replacement but it augments the other parts of our economy whether it's manufacturing or social services or whatever but uh, uh if you're if you're in biddeford you got to check out the lincoln hotel i i probably shouldn't advertise them like that but it was uh, it's a it's a, a new development that's very interesting using old facilities that have been there for you know well over 100 years yeah it's pretty amazing what they've done in the mills down there and revitalizing Biddeford. Well, and that's a that's a good example, I think, of taking advantage of the assets that we have. There are lots of places in Maine. Brunswick is, is one. Lewiston, Auburn, Biddeford, uh, Saco, Biddeford, that have these uh, wonderful structures that that are now being repurposed for shopping and and uh, apartments and, and uh, lodging. That's uh, it's a it's a great uh, sort of reuse. But it's also nice to see towns that aren't traditional tourist destinations that are that are uh, snagging some of this business. Yeah, I agree. I think um, Auburn with Mayor Jason Levesque is actually doing a great job at that too, looking at really creative solutions to, to affordable housing. I'd be remiss too if I didn't say that one of the other biggest issues that we're facing and we've taken on as a legislative priority is affordable childcare. My friend and colleague, Kim Russell, whom I think you know, yep. um, says that says that child care, solving child care is really a three-legged stool issue, which is, you know, access, affordability, and, and quality. And we've taken on uh, prioritizing child care for our members' employees because we're hearing that that's a, also a huge uh, impediment to getting these folks full-time into the workforce. Well, you, you beat me to it because uh, one of my friends in Washington made a point that I hadn't really thought about. She said, childcare is just like a road in front of your house. It's essential infrastructure to get to work. If you've right. got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, you can't go to work unless you have some solution on childcare. And and it's it's a it, it's a really serious issue. I, we I've visited childcare centers in in Bath and up up around Millinocket, all over the state, Bangor. Uh, I think, uh, and and you suggested this, that businesses are going to have to start thinking about childcare as a kind of standard benefit, like health insurance. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Angus. And some of them are being um, are being very proactive about it. Um, the Jackson Labs, for example, that has the resources to be able to do some on-site uh, childcare is is really leading the way and in being innovative and finding solutions. I know that we are championing legislation at the state level that uh, would provide tax credits to employers who provide direct or in-kind child care uh, for their employees uh, to provide some relief, relief to their families who need to spend money on well, other you necessities. Know, you know, one of the reasons health insurance is covered as a, as a, a benefit of employment, it goes back to the 40s and the, the employer gets a, it's, it's a business expense, they get a deduction 
but also the employee doesn't pay taxes on the value of the health insurance. Those two policies added together are what supported the massive expansion of of health uh, health insurance through the through employers across the country. And as you say, I think we're going to have to start thinking thinking about childcare in in the same way. So it's a it's a private sector initiative, but the but the government has a certainly a role in encouraging and supporting it. Yeah, I mean that's the families need to be able to afford it, and the wages need to be at a place where we can re- attract and retain a workforce um, and, and until we can get them on an evil on a level playing field. It's going to be really hard to have a stable childcare workforce. I wish I could take credit for coining the term, but they are the workforce behind the workforce. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Well, Nate, thank you very much, and and I'm sure you're headed into your busy season. Thanks for taking some time with us, and uh, please give my best to your your, uh, colleagues and constituents in the hospitality industry. Uh, It's so much a part of what Maine is, and and a a very positive part, too, as as people realize the, the economic impact. I was surprised, if you were listening earlier, that the economic impact of Acadia National Park is almost half a billion dollars. And that's those are jobs and and quality of life for, for people in Maine. So thanks for what you're doing. And uh, let's keep in touch and let's look forward to a great summer. Yeah, thank you, Angus. We really appreciate all you're doing in D.C. for our industry. So thank you. Well, we, we'll, we'll keep at it. We'll look forward to, to a, uh, a sunny July 4th. How's that? That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. And thank, thank you. you for joining us on Inside Maine. Uh, a little look at uh, what uh, visitation tourism does for our economy, for the state, some of the issues that we're facing. And uh, we're delighted that you were able to take some time with us and look forward to joining you next time on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. See you later. Thank you.